On this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Keith Beliveau, where we talk about gaining respect as a young professional, what he learned from studying abroad, taking a holistic view on health, and what modern masculinity means to each of us. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to journey number 15. And today we have Dr. Keith Beliveau on. Um, Dr. Keith is a chiropractor here in Calgary and uh, is the co-owner of Curo Chiropractic. And how are you doing today, Keith? I'm great. Yeah, thanks. How are you doing? Very good. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before here about the holidays and how they were a little bit different this year, but um, different isn't always bad. So, Totally. Yeah, I think it's going to make next Christmas that much better. Yeah, for sure. I think, you yeah. know, that's one of the things about this year is it just really, at least for me, has brought the important things to the forefront. You know, has kind of shown yeah. you when you have to put effort into basically everything, you know, deciding who you're going to spend time with, who you're going to reach out to, who you're going to stay connected with, um, what you're going to do with your time when you're so limited, you know, it really kind of shows you what's important and what kind of falls by the wayside. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it also shows like what all the things we take for granted, you know, like everyone going back for their first flames game after this year, <laughs> like the stampede next year, if it goes on or my first yoga class back packed into a room with a bunch of people, yeah. it's going to be that much better realizing, wow, this isn't something that's just automatic. Yeah, for sure. And even like, like you're, the little things too, of even just giving somebody a hug and not having to worry about it, right? <laughs> you know, totally, man. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so I guess to start off here, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about yourself. Um, you know, going back to what kind of kid you were, where you, where you grew up, um, you know, what you're doing now, kind of how everything that led you up to this point. Cool. Yeah, um, I'm born and raised in Calgary. So I've been here my whole life, except for my time in grad school down in California. Um, and I did a semester abroad in undergrad. But other than that, lived in Calgary always. Um, yeah, so I kind of grew up in like the southwest part of Calgary, a little bit in the southeast down in like Douglasdale, but for the most part, like my circle of where I've lived has been pretty small, kind of through Altador and up into like West Hills area. And that's where our practice is now. So, and that's kind of where I live now. So it's it's been cool to kind of see the city grow over the years. Uh, but for me personally, um, grew up definitely active, love being outside, love playing sports. I started skateboarding at like a super young age. There was this house up the street for me. Um, do you remember this store, like the Soar Skateboards? Yes, yeah. It, it was on 17th where Less 17 is now. Um, there was a couple of guys that worked there that lived up the street for me and they were just like super cool dudes and they were just always out like skateboarding on this rail on the front street. And as a kid, you know, you just kind of like see older people doing stuff and you're like, oh, that looks kind of sweet. And then so I, I got into skateboarding at like six years old. Wow. Um, so I was like that random, like way too young of a kid to be at the skate park always. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. And then started snowboarding, like not that far after that, maybe at like seven or eight. Um, so I definitely was like into the board sports at a very young age. Then I got into football and then a couple other sports, played rugby a bit and now I spend a bit more time golfing and stuff like that, less contact sports. Um, still love to get out snowboarding and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's kind of like been, been my life. I've always had, a, yeah, like an active life. Um, I decided in like high school to be a chiropractor. I had a really awesome chiropractor. My mom was seeing someone. She started seeing a chiropractor when I was a little bit younger, maybe like 12 or so. She went to one clinic and like, I went there a couple of times. I wouldn't say it inspired me at all. I don't think she loved it there. Um, so if it, if it ended there, I probably would have never been a chiropractor, but then she switched and she started seeing like this amazing chiropractor and I started seeing him and 
he quickly became the person I was going to with like all of my health issues. You know, I was, I was never that impressed with my interactions at like with my medical or physiotherapist. It was always kind of like, am I wasting my time even doing this? Like, you're just kind of trying to get me out the door. Um, nothing's really changing. I was never really that impressed with their knowledge on the body. I never walked away from appointments like, oh, that was really good insight. Um, but that started to happen with my chiropractor. Every single time I'd go in with like a sports injury, football injury, snowboard injury, he would always be able to kind of like have a good perspective on like how to manage it, how to help, you know, adjust me and work me through it. But then also other stuff, like when I had questions about like, I don't know, brain fog, or I was going to the gym and I was doing this or that. He always had like awesome insights. And I was like, man, this guy truly is like an expert of the human body. Um, and that was in high school times. I was taking like a sports medicine class and I thought it was just fascinating learning about injuries and anatomy. And then, yeah, I'd sort of in high school, I was like, cool, well, that looks like a pretty good job. So what do I do to do that? And he was like, well, we'll probably start with like an undergrad in kinesiology and then go from there. So I did that, did an undergrad in kinesi. And then at the end of that, I kind of like, reassessed all my options and then decided yeah you know what like between all the things that are possible coming out of Kinesi, Cairo is still the one I want to do and then here we are. Very cool and um, <laughs> just going back to the skateboarding it's so funny if I haven't thought about this in years uh, I remember when I was really young I had a skateboard I wouldn't call myself a skateboarder but I had a skateboard and I think I don't even think I could like travel on it. I'm pretty sure I would like sit in my garage and just like tip back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> Try to figure out how to do a jump and like never even getting close to it. So I just, it had a yeah. really cool memory pop up for me there. But, um, you know, going back to deciding to become a chiropractor, you said you decided in high school, did you think you were going to do something else before then or were you still figuring it out? Uh, I was pretty open to options at that yeah. point. I think I kind of wanted to be in like more real estate, like do more land development and that kind of oh. stuff. Um, so that was something that did kind of pique my interest. Um, but I think I was pretty open at that point. Yeah. No, yeah. very cool. It's always interesting. I love asking people because some people, it seems, you know, they've known from a very young age of like, this is specifically what I want to do. And some people, it seems like they change their mind every month until they find the thing. And, you know, there's just everything in between as well. And so I'm always curious to ask people that. Um, and now going to school, you, you went to school in California, correct? Yeah, that's right. And how was that? Well, you know, being in Calgary your entire life um, and, you know, all of a sudden kind of moving there and how, how long were you there for? What was that experience? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Um, you know, did you go in with a different idea, um, at what you thought it was going to be as opposed to when you actually got there and the reality of it? Yeah. So I was there for like four years. I think overall it was like a super positive experience. Um, people were great and obviously I like, could have met people if I was in Minnesota or wherever I was. So the people were great, but that's aside from California, California was awesome. There's a lot of things I loved about it. There's a lot of things I did not like about it. Um, like a lot of people would always ask, like, are you going to try to stay there after school? Like, oh, how are you gonna, ever going to come back to Canada or Calgary? And it's like very much voluntarily, I'm going to come back to Calgary. Like California was cool. There's a lot of good things about it. There's a lot of bad things about it. And I think you're seeing that now. A lot of the celebrities that have been based in California, a lot of them are leaving. A lot of companies are leaving California. I think there was probably a sweet spot for California. I don't know if it was like in the 50s or 60s or 70s before like everyone in America realized, hey, you know what? I can go live like the beach life. Um, 
and there's probably small pockets in California that are like perfect. But at the end of the day, you have to leave that little pocket and realize like you're in a state that has its own issues, I guess you could say. Um, but the school was awesome. Yeah, I love the experience. And um, yeah, what, what else? Uh, what else did you want me to sort of dive into there? Just kind of anything that came up, you know, like one of the interesting parts for me is you know, also born and raised in Calgary, you know, luckily last year I got to do a bunch of traveling, but before that I never really, you know, went outside of, you know, this kind of sphere. Like I did a lot in Alberta, but, you know, not a lot of traveling abroad. And, you know, for me, for whatever reason, Calgary has always felt like home, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, when I visit other places, it always feels like visiting, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm ready to go home now. And I've never had the huge pull to, you know, specifically move anywhere. And um, yeah, and you know, I'm always interested to get people's take on that because some people, it seems like they, again, you know, they like to move around and just change their environment up a lot of times. Sometimes they have a specific destination and, you know, specifically being Californian, like you're talking about, it kind of has this, um, you know, almost call it aura around it of, you know, yeah. being the place to be and, you know, that beach lifestyle and the rich and famous are there and, you know, everything like that. And so, yeah, it was just a, in, wanted some insight on, you know, I think a lot of people when they hear that you have to spend four years in California, you know, just like you said, say, oh, well, why would you ever go back, right? And so yeah. that's why I was kind of curious on on your experiences there and what you thought of it. And um, yeah. Cool. So yeah, I, I would say before, like when I was probably an undergrad age, let's say 21, 22, I was definitely of the mindset, like, why would I live in, continue to live in Calgary just because I was born here doesn't mean I need to spend the rest of my life here. Like the world is my oyster, whatever you think is a 21, 22 year old person. Yeah. And then I went on a study abroad and that was in Europe and I traveled around Europe there. And that was cool. Obviously, um, Europe is really, really neat, um, really great place to be, really great place to live, especially as a Canadian, because it's very similar culturally and um, standard of living and that kind of stuff. And that is one place, like I was pretty dead set for a while. I, I wanted to move to the Netherlands. Okay. I really loved it there. When I was on study abroad, I went to the Netherlands twice. Like I loved it so much the first time I went back and really fell in love with the great culture, great lifestyle, maybe not quite as like outdoorsy as here, but still everything else seemed awesome. Um, and that's even when I was in Cairo school, I still thought that like, if anything, I'm going to, I'm not going to move to America. I'm probably going to move either to Europe or stay, go back to Canada. Um, but yeah, some of the, some of the things with California, I didn't love. So some of the things I did love, let's start with that. Weather is fantastic. Like you can't argue with that, especially being in Calgary and having to kind of endure less than ideal weather Yeah. where, you know, it's like dumping snow and just going to get groceries is a task, you know, where it's like, that is one nice thing where like your daily tasks are never really being affected by the weather. A little bit of rain here and there, but that's not too bad. Um, just access to so much stuff. You, know, you can drive an hour in one direction, you're at the beach, drive an hour in another direction, you're at a major city. You can go to the mountains, you can go to the beach, you can go to you know, some of these awesome cities that are all very close to each other and all very different. So you can have different cultural experiences, different like geographical experiences all within a short drive. So that was cool. Obviously there's a lot of like neat things around that you're like, Golden State Warriors are playing right here and there's Google right there. And there's all these like cool businesses because there's just so much money. There's like a whole major economy in California. So there's a lot of businesses that are able to thrive in that environment. So I'd say that's all like the good stuff. The bad stuff is like the government doesn't really do anything. Like, I don't know where all these tax dollars go, but like 
the roads are all terrible. There's garbage everywhere. There's crime everywhere. There's zero police presence. So it definitely gives you a feeling of like, you know, Europe feels like Western Europe, I guess we could say, feels very safe. Canada feels very safe. It feels very like, very much like things are in control and there's like, there's direction and there's strategy and things are being taken care of and the citizens are being taken care of. And then you go down there and it's like, you don't get that same feeling. You get the feeling that a lot of people are, going through life, not being taken care of, feeling a little disenfranchised. Um, for every like Lambo you see driving down the freeway, you also see a, like a 92 whatever car that's uninsured and it's dragging its muffler down the road. Um, and you just don't see that level of disparity in Canada. And it's it's not in like a good way. Like the, the person driving the 92 whatever Corolla dragging its muffler down the freeway, you can tell and because you, you go see them in stores or you go see those those people around and they're not like super jazzed about their life situation they don't believe in the trickle down effect of the capitalist economy they're in or this or that you can tell they don't feel super happy with the life that they have and they resent people that live in the lambo lifestyle so con and then, then there's that's like a, a social you know stratification and also like social and those are often tied together states so there's this underlying almost like tension that exists that doesn't exist in Canada and Canada just really feels like everyone's on the same team we're all on the ship together and we're all in this thing together and one can kind of make it in Canada and like make it whatever that means but anyone make a good life for themselves and there's not as many barriers to that in America you really do notice it and feel it um and that's and that bleeds into just like your day-to-day -day interactions like people are a little bit more guarded and obviously when you live somewhere with so many people that's just naturally going to happen it probably happens more in toronto and vancouver than it does here mm -hmm. um but that's also another thing is like i would come back to calgary and be like okay we have some snow we got to deal with part of the year but we have like awesome people we have the nicest people that are super intelligent super open-minded and are of this like team and us mindset and that's like it's hard to put a price on that i love that no that's that's a great insight and you know it's it's really kind of put into perspective um, how different things were where I was talking to another friend of mine and he went down to Silicon Valley um, for a little bit and one of his experiences was um, you know the Lambo lifestyle and they went to this you know really fancy restaurant and there's um, essentially a guy asking for money outside and he saw you know this uh, obviously extremely well-off individual, get out of the, his Lambo, go over, drop that guy a hundred dollar bill and then go into the restaurant. And he actually went up to him um, and started talking to the guy asking for money. And it turned out he was actually a professional panhandler where that was his full-time job. And he would go and he would set up shop. He had a house, he had a family, he had everything, but he would make more money panhandling outside of this restaurant than he would at a regular job. And so that's what he did. And, you know, he'd look scruffy and he would look like he was homeless. And then um, at the end of the day, he'd go home. And it was just, you know, it's such an interesting, you know, and completely foreign world to me just to hear that that even exists. And so, yeah, you know, it's some of those almost subtleties that you wouldn't think of at first when you first, uh, you know, start yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. That's actually yeah. really interesting. I've, <laughs> yeah. he I've heard that like some people playing their musical instruments in like the subway of New York, they can make some pretty good money. But yeah, I didn't realize this guy was doing that instead of a job. And he was like, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is pretty chill. I just sit here, people watch, ask for some money. Some people yeah. give it to me voluntarily. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it blew my mind, and so I still think about it a lot. But anyways, <laughs> switching yeah. gears a little bit, and you know, I think one of the things I was really maybe most excited to talk to you about was the idea of being a young professional, right? And especially like for yourself with the title of a doctor. And yeah. people, when people usually think about, you know, doctors or professionals, um, you know, they think a little bit older. They think you have that experience, you have that base knowledge. And um, yeah, you know, I was just really curious to get some of your experiences on being a young professional and, you know, treating a lot of people that I imagine are older than yourself. Um, because, you know, it's something that I've run into a lot in, you know, my career where, uh, you know, having to go and be the professional or be the expert to somebody that is sometimes twice your age and yeah. how you kind of navigate that, you know, have you run into people not taking you seriously and, you know, just kind of what have you done when you run into that? Yeah, I would say I've run into it a little bit. You know, I'd say it was more when I was fresh out of school, even though it wasn't that many years ago. And I probably didn't look all that different or all that younger. I probably just had maybe a, a younger energy about me. I don't know what it was. I was also associate in, in clinics too, an associate. So I think that doesn't help when someone comes into a, a clinic and they're like, oh yeah, you're going to get stuck with the associate doc. And then the associate docs, this very young looking person, they're kind of like, what, what is this? Um, I wouldn't say I got many people like actually refusing care or saying anything that was that demeaning or belittling, just more like, oh, you're, you're, you're young doc, cool. Um, uh, so just little comments like that. And who knows whether that was a factor in any of my patients' decisions to not comply with care I recommended or this or that. It's impossible for me to know that. Um, but I would say it was definitely like an aspect of, it was in the back of my head at times where it was like, okay, uh, I don't, I probably shouldn't go clean shaven, you know, and now I will go clean shaven. I have a bit of facial hair right now, but I will go clean shaven. It obviously takes a couple of years off me, but it's different now. Like being a clinic owner, you've almost like proven your concept a little bit. And I think that's true with anything is we're looking for like signals of competence, you know? So if I was going to go hire like, an accountant or a lawyer and I had no personal connections to any of them and I was going to maybe sit down with a few of them if one of them was super young and one of them is maybe 15 20 years older you'd usually expect okay 15 20 years more experience is going to be helpful but then there's the flip side of that which is like this person that's maybe younger maybe they know the most up-to-date practices they're not stuck in their old ways they don't have these old things that aren't relevant in today's age or they didn't get updated knowledge um, so that, that can kind of go both ways. And the one thing that really, I think, tip the scales to people is if you're young and then you've, you've proven yourself in one way or another, that what you're doing is a good way to do things, then people are like, sweet. So back to like the accountant or the lawyer or who, whatever other professional I can kind of relate to being on the, like, the client side of things, if they're young, but they're getting amazing results with all their clients and are doing things up into like the most updated modern way the way that's gonna give the best results and do it the best way possible, then sweet, like by all means, it doesn't really matter your age. And I think that's really one thing that I've noticed is now that we're Dr. Sonar and our clinic owners um, and people come in and it's a nice clinic, they're almost like, oh, cool, you guys are young, but you obviously are doing something right, so sweet. But I think before, yeah, like I would, I would wear more dress shirts and tuck them into my pants and try to like look the part a little bit more. Cause it's like, I can't look, can't look like a kid and then also be all, 
haphazardly dressed and then be the associate doctor in the back of the clinic and doing all that, that's probably not going to be good PR for me. Um, but yeah, I think that's the progression as you kind of grow into your own skin, you're kind of like, okay, this is maybe I don't need to tuck my shirt in every day and wear a proper collar dress shirt every day. And I can wear a bit more comfortable clothes that's going to allow me to do my job better. And I don't need to be as worried about, you know, necessarily people's perception of my age now, because I think like the concept has been proven. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I'm curious, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, you know, just from what you were saying, too, of you don't necessarily look all that different than when you first started. Do you yeah. Think, like, how much do you think of it has to do with how you carry yourself? Do you think that, you know, yeah. people can just tell by the way that you're carrying yourself? And even though you now, you know, like as a clinic title, for sure, the title, you know, that, sorry, as a clinic owner, that title helps you. Mm -hmm. How much do you think it's actually more so those intangibles of how you're carrying yourself? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, totally. I think that's probably a huge factor as well. Because um, before it would kind of be like, yeah, a patient comes in with a certain case and I don't necessarily know how it's going to turn out. Or maybe I've seen it on a couple people, but they were maybe of different age demographics, fitness levels, this or that. So I didn't necessarily know how it was going to turn out. So there was probably a little bit of uncertainty with me as to like, hey, this is what's gonna happen. These are my recommendations. This is what we're gonna do first. This is what we're gonna do second. This is how things are gonna progress. There was probably a little, little bit more guesswork and I think people can definitely pick up on that versus like, and that's the nice thing about, you know, Dr. Soin and I, we both were quite successful right out of the gate after school in terms of being able to see lots of different cases. And that just gives us more and more data points. Um, you know, seeing a young teenager through an injury versus like a, a 60 year old person who's been sedentary for the last 20 years versus a young female versus an older male, someone who's fit, someone who's not fit. And the severity of some of these injuries, we really now have seen a lot of stuff and we know how it sort of ends up. We've seen it through its whole cycle. So now we do have definitely a lot more confidence in that, but also just in what we do, because we're now knowing, okay, this is the, these are the effects of what we do. We've seen enough cases through that. It's like, if we do this, this is what's going to happen. And I think that like that certainty is such a big part of it. Yeah. You're totally right there. For sure. Yeah. And you know what, why this topic excites me so much is because, you know, I've been fortunate enough where a lot of the positions that I've held have been, um, I've had a lot of responsibility. And a lot of yeah. times I've either been serving people or in charge of people that are a lot older than me. And, you know, kind of the biggest, you know, the, the biggest contrast in that was when I first started and I, I was running my, my little painting business and, you know, I'm this 19 year old kid that's showing up to these, you know, adults houses and saying, please pay me, you know, $4,000 to paint your house, Yeah, <laughs> and, right. you know, so Obviously, you know, in that situation, especially from the outside looking in, you know, there's a lot of hesitation sometimes on like, am I really going to trust this kid who necessarily, who doesn't necessarily have a ton of experience in it, who, you know, I don't really know if they know what they're doing. And, you know, it was such a big difference from my first year to my, my second year. And again, I don't think I looked all that different, but I think the way that I carried myself was extremely different you know I had the answers I had seen different things I could draw on my past experiences and you know even though yes I did have you know past projects to show them I think it was so much more about how I carried myself and the other thing too is one of the things I realized was a lot of times you're not going to change someone's mind 
of, you know, mm-hmm. if they don't accept yeah. you because of your age, you know, a lot of times you're not going to be able to convince them. And mm-hmm. so trying not to, you know, just trying not to convince them and putting my energy into, you know, this is, I know that I'm good at this. I know that this is what I can do. And I know that these are my skills and it's up to you if you're going to accept them or not, but, you know, being confident in the fact that this, that I know what I'm doing here and um, yeah, just kind of moving on from there instead of just, you know, harping on them or changing my approach or whatever it might be to try to convince them that, you know, I know what I'm doing. It's just kind of leaving it there and letting them making the, make the decision for themselves. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think you're right. It's really hard to change people's minds on certain judgments they have because, you know, a, this age thing aside, but whatever it is, usually any evidence you try to produce of like, hey, your belief is maybe a little bit uh, um, superficial or it's unfounded or this or that, any evidence you provide there, that just provokes now debate. And now it's like in their mind, whether they're doing it out loud or not, now they're coming up with counter arguments about why your points aren't valid and why their points have validity from this perspective or this perspective. And we see it all the time with like American politics. That would be one really simple one where it's like, no matter how good your point is about whatever the topic is, they're, whether they're saying it out loud or in their own head, they're coming up with counter argument, counter argument, counterpoint in their own head, just because that's on some of these things, that's how we've almost been trained to think, or maybe not trained to think, maybe that's just how we naturally think um, is, this is my belief. And, you know, like debate class is a prime example of that, where you just dig your heels in regardless of which side of it you're on. It's like usually just a very um, random topic that you've just been selected to, you know, argue one side of it, and then you might switch halfway. But our brain is really good at like discounting other people's points and then like trying to find other ways to support our own viewpoints. So yeah, I think you're right. Like a lot of times it is really hard to change people's beliefs on certain things. And that's like a lot of things in the world at large. That's been my kind of take over the last few years because there's been so many things where we're like, we need to see change immediately. We need to like, you know, we decided we're going to change this thing last year and we don't, we need to change in public perception immediately. And my take is like true change is going to happen more like through the generations, you know, like did our grandparents, any of our grandparents were a little bit racist, you know, did they really change their views on race or did they just become a little bit more quiet with them? And did they just not say so much stuff out loud or like, you know, did they really change the neural networks or are they just more quiet about some of that stuff? And I think so many things are that way where like once someone has a certain belief and they're not willing to do the work, cause it does take a lot of work to challenge your beliefs and create new, they're not willing to do it's not going to happen just from a couple conversations or a couple articles or a couple of this or podcasts or this or that. It's going to take like a lot more work for someone to change their perspective. For sure. No. And, you know, I, I resonate with that a ton. And, you know, I think one of the big things as well is that it's this idea that I'm right, you're wrong whenever we're arguing. Right. And it's a hundred percent. And a lot of times, like you're saying, you know, that kind of leads to two different reactions. One, either I am going to dig my heels in so hard that no matter what you say, no matter how valid your point is, I'm going to fight against it with everything that I have. Because, you know, I feel like a lot of times we're, we use shame almost as a weapon, right? Of you shouldn't think this mm-hmm. way, you shouldn't be this way on whatever it is. Of Again, totally. I'm, you're wrong. You are wrong for your beliefs. This year and, has been full of that, right? Exactly. And so it's automatic. I'm going to dig my heels in. And now you've moved me farther away from where you want me to go. 
or on the flip side, like you were saying, or sometimes we just shut down, right? And we shut down and we don't actually change our thinking. We just don't talk about it, right? We right. keep it to ourselves, we keep it quiet, we keep it hidden, which a lot of times, you know, in my opinion, I don't think that that leads to change um, or at least any meaningful change. And a lot of times it can actually sometimes make it worse, right? If you're not totally. able to talk about issues wherever you stand on them and you know that idea of having a conversation and trying to understand each other doesn't necessarily mean one's right one's wrong all the time but at least inviting that conversation to talk it out not just you yeah. have to drop every single thing that you've ever believed and now come over to my side because I'm the right side it's well let's talk about why you have those beliefs let's talk about why you think that way or like ask me questions about it. And yeah, you know, it's something that I've, I've put a lot of thought into of how to actually cause change or invite change into the things that we care about by approaching it in different ways. Yeah, totally. You know, I, during the start of the whole like lockdown and pandemic thing, that's something I had to keep reminding people and I had to keep reminding myself of this is like the phrase I was using is like, whatever your take is on like, the masks or the lockdown or whether you want to see people and this is like obviously we've gone through phases of where we were maybe more open to do stuff and we were allowed to and now we're not allowed to do much so it's less of a choice but what I've, the phrase I always kind of pop you know would pop into conversations and remind people and myself is like whatever your take is on this personally you're right you know like you're right if you want to stay home and don't want to see anyone you're right for yourself if you want to go and like play some sports outside with your friends you know obviously before it was a bylaw against that but back when we were a little bit more free to do that um and not like we i think so many people are spending so much mental energy trying to convince other people that their way of doing things is the right way and their their take on this covid situation is the right take and their take is wrong it's like we just need to give people a little bit more credit that they can come to their own conclusions and their opinion is equally as valid as yours is. Um, and that's, I think that that was helpful. That was helpful for a lot of the people around me that like we started to think that way and that was helpful for me. Because instead of like you have a certain belief or perspective or viewpoint and then therefore everyone else must be wrong because like if yours is right then how could theirs be totally different and also right. So it's really easy to fall into that like if you don't believe what I believe and I believe if you know I believe what I believe for a reason and I think it's right um it's really easy to fall into that so I think the more we can realize okay I'm one person I have my previous life experiences and that's led me to see things in a certain way and you have different life experiences and that's led you to believe things in a different way or see things in a different way doesn't mean mine's more valuable than yours they're just going to be different and that doesn't we don't need to agree on stuff but I also don't try to need to convince you that what I'm doing is right and what you're doing is wrong. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one of the, in my opinion, that's one of the hardest things about COVID is that, you know, there's so much gray. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, two sides anymore. It's not like there, you either think this way or you think that way. There's so much, you know, just so much gray in between both extremes and everybody fits somewhere slightly different. And totally. like you're saying, you know, it's just, yeah, you know, it's, you can't be, you can't be right and make everybody else wrong in the entire world, right? It's totally. right for you. 
because it's yeah. not like, oh, half of the side sees it this way and half of it sees it that way. It's like, there's so many unique perspectives on it, drawing on all of your experiences, drawing on your personal beliefs, your risk tolerance, everything like that, that makes everybody's take on it a little bit different and which makes yeah. it so hard to find any common ground. Totally, yeah, I think you're totally right. And that, that highlights one more thing, what can we talked about like risk tolerance is like in so many other aspects of our life, we're willing to kind of go down to the least risk, risky person. You know, like let's say you and me and five other people went skiing and we go up to the top of the crazy run and it's like a double black diamond down one way or it's like a blue run down the other way. And we're all fantastic at skiing except for one person. They could never do the black diamond run. Like they're totally at the skill set of like blue we don't like stand at the top and try to like convince them and talk them into doing it. It's either like, you're going to go your way. We're going to go our way, or let's all go to the blue run. Cause at least we can all do that. And going down the double black, that's like putting this blue level skier in a pretty unfortunate situation, a pretty unfair situation to force them into that, what they're not comfortable with. Um, so we do that all the time with other things, but with COVID, you really saw people being like, I'm very risk tolerant to this. I'm very much not concerned about this. And I'm gonna force my decisions onto you now, regardless of your perspective on it. It's like, there's a lot of lack of courtesy around that, I think. Um, yeah, so that's one other thing back when you talked about risk tolerance, it's like, that's definitely a, a big one, right? A lot of people are very tolerant to risk and like, you know, going through this whole COVID thing, that's, there's obviously a small risk involved, whether it's to yourself or to someone around you or you know, to society as a whole. So some people are very tolerant to that and some people are not. And rarely do we force people that are less risk tolerant in other things in our world to like try to come up to the level of the most risky. But this is something that we definitely did see that. We saw a lot of, and it worked the opposite way too, but that's, that's a more of a fair argument. If you're, trying, if you're someone who's risk adverse, trying to get other people to be more risk adverse, that's fair. You know, that's something that anyone who's risk tolerant could do. They could do those actions that's within their skill set and their wheelhouse. But the opposite isn't true. You can't just get someone who's totally risk adverse to go do something that's pretty risky and think that that's something they're comfortable doing. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I resonate a ton with that. And I think, you know, in my mind, one of the other hardest parts is that you're no longer taking on that risk only for yourself right? It's mm -hmm. now also imposing your will on other people, right? Yeah. Um, if you want to go down the black diamond run, like, awesome, you go down the black diamond run, I'll go down the blue one, you know, there's no problem there. <laughs> but the yeah, problem totally. comes when like, no, I'm going to strap you to my back, and you're coming down the black diamond with me. Yeah, um, you know, and, you know, in a situation like that, it's easy to see, like, oh, like, you shouldn't force people to do it. And again, this is one where there's so much gray that it's just there's, yeah, there's so many different ways it can go. There's so many different situations. There's so many different levels of, it just makes it very tough. But um, does. yeah, you know, uh, switching gears a little bit here. One of, you know, one of my favorite things about Kiro and uh, you and Sohan is kind of the, you know, call it like a holistic approach to health, where I feel like, you know, not only in health, but in a lot of different things, there seems to be an, almost like an or, um, an or culture around things. You do this or you do that. And yeah. you know, talking with you, you know, with so much knowledge, it's a lot of and, you know, you need to work on your physical health and your mental health, right? You need to work totally. on your diet and exercise and everything. 
um, you know, everything kind of feeding into it, into each other and, you know, not, not um, neglecting any one piece that is the whole body of health. And so I was just wondering if you could talk to that a little bit and, you know, is it something you've always believed in and just your, your general thoughts on how everything, you know, ties together? Yeah, totally. Like, I think what really gives you insight into how we operate at Kiro is we have five health essentials. We have obviously spine and nervous system, which is the main thing people associate with chiropractors. So people come here with spine, nervous system problems, and we help work on those. But that's not where we leave it. And that's not where we kind of stop our work. And that's, that's kind of what you're talking about is like, a lot of other clinics, they're like, yeah, this is what I do. I'm a chiropractor. I work on people's spines. Anything else you need, go somewhere else for it. Um, but for us, it's like we do, yeah, spine and nervous system. That's one of our health essentials. We have optimal nutrition, optimal exercise, optimal mindset, and then minimizing toxins into the body. And that's, you know, like back to chiropractic school in California, it was truly some of the healthiest people I've ever been around. And it was like really, really fascinating to be around a group of people that were so healthy, but not just in their spinal health. It's not like just everyone was getting adjusted and doing good posture and doing some spinal exercises. And that was the end of it. They were truly healthy, healthy, healthy people. And it came from all these things. It came from exercising. And how do you exercise? How frequently? What are you doing? It's not just about like sitting on a recumbent bike for an hour each day. Like there's more to it than just checking the box and saying, I did something. It's like, what are you doing? Then there's nutrition. Like a nutrition, it can be obviously so complicated. But on a simple level, it's just like, don't put crap in your body, eat whole foods. And like, that's a really, really good starting point. You could literally not even put any more thought into it. Other than that, I'm just going to eat whole foods. And that's, that's a really, really great starting point. Um, so it can be complicated. It can be simple. But at the end of the day, it's like what goes into our body is super important. Um, mindset, that's a huge one. And that's been one that we've really started to expand upon. And especially 2020, because in my experience in practice for the last last few years on people's intake forms the amount of people that check off stress and anxiety has been insanely high i, I don't know the percentage but i would say more people check that box than don't in 2020 obviously that's gone even you know even higher um and then finally minimizing toxins so it's like the example i often use is like it would be such a shame if you were doing all this other stuff you know going to the chiropractor exercising but do, doing the work on your diet, which takes time and energy and money to go, you know, buy the right foods, to spend the time and like the, the resources to work on your mindset. It would be a shame to do all that stuff and then have a bunch of toxins going into your body and throwing off your endocrine system and your nervous system and you not being able to experience the life as good as you could just because there's toxins that are sort of just building up into your body. So those are kind of our five health essentials that we, we live by personally. And that was a big thing for us is like, if we're going to be as healthy as we can be doing all these other things, why would we just come to the clinic and be healthcare practitioners and take the health of our patients into our hands and then just say, ah, you know what though? Like, all you need to do is come here and get adjusted. Like that's, that's it. Do these exercises at home and we're just going to take care of your spine. And that's all you need to, to be healthy. Where it's like, but that's not how we're living our own lives. So we have to be congruent with that as well. And, you know, it's, it would be disingenuous for us to say, not touch on any of these other topics, but you're, you're totally right. It's like usually this and this and this and this, and it can, it can seem overwhelming at the start, but typically it's like just small habits that we just change. We just do one at a time, start doing this differently, you know, drinking more water, for example, most people don't drink enough water. That's just a, one really simple thing. Once you start doing it, you just keep doing it because your body feels better and you just realize, okay, I was actually a little dehydrated. 
getting enough sleep. Like that's another one. Just a lot of people don't get enough sleep. And then that's another one you could start working on for a couple months. And then you're just going to keep doing it because your body feels that much better when you're sleeping. And then same with exercise and diet. Like a lot of people who don't exercise and have a poor diet, they think that all these people that are exercising regularly and eating well, they think they're just exercising so much self-discipline every single day, not realizing that once you start doing those things, you just want to keep doing them because it makes your body feel better. And the second you kind of slip back for like a week, let's say over the holidays, you know, I know I've definitely been kind of feeling that. I'm not like, sweet, I'm going to keep eating a bunch of rich foods and I'm going to exercise less for the rest of my life. This is awesome. I'm like itching to get back being, I went skiing yesterday, so that was good activity. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm itching to get back to eating cleaner again and like uh, exercising like every single day again. So for a lot of people, it's like realizing, okay, these little habits, it's going to take some effort at the start. But then once you start doing it, your body's just going to want to keep doing it because your body feels better and your mind feels better and everything about your experience of life just feels a little bit better. Um, so that's kind of our, our approach to patient care here and our approach to healthcare is like absolutely chiropractic is going to be a huge component of that. If you have issues in the spine and nervous system, that is going to bleed through your body and into your health in other ways even just back pain, like back pain is debilitating. Um, you know, a lot of people, most people experience it, whether it's neck pain or lower back pain, most people experience it. And for a lot of people, it's chronic. So most people can be motivated, just to take care of their spine for the very reason it's going to hurt less. Um, let a, but like, let's not like, let it stop there. There's so many other benefits to take care of the spine and nervous system that are going to bleed into other systems that we just didn't realize because the nervous system controls every system in the body. So if you have dysfunction in the nervous system, then you have dysfunction in whatever other system is being controlled by that, which is every other system. So always starting with the nervous system, that's definitely going to be the key to most people's um, health. If they do have problems there, it needs to be addressed. For sure. You know, and uh, it, it was something that came up in my last conversation and, you know, I'm glad that you brought it up too. that idea of, you know, small, consistent changes and mm -hmm. those being, you know, really the key for actual change and, you know, actual habits. And it doesn't mean that, okay, you know, like I'm going to be healthy tomorrow and therefore I'm going to cut out everything bad in my diet. I'm going to change my lifestyle completely. I'm going to, you know, do all of this in 24 hours. It's like, you know, like, it's that idea of you're going to start making those changes. You're going to incorporate those into your lifestyle and then incorporate more and incorporate more and incorporate more. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've come to realize is sustainable is so much more important of making those habits, sustainable. Yeah. you know, habits that you can actually keep with. And again, you know, make those meaningfully meaningful changes that last for a really long time. Yeah, totally. And yeah, it's, it's just about creating a different life. It's just a different way to do your life. And it's, it's unfortunate that the modern world now, we have to be a lot more conscious about it and we have to kind of construct it. You go back a few thousand years and there was no, you didn't have to think about this stuff. You were just naturally doing it. You were naturally just moving your body all day because that's your only way to do anything. That's your only way to get around. You had to go walk there. There was, there was a lot less, obviously, automation and machinery. So a lot of stuff was done by hand. Um, you naturally were sort of like sitting amongst a smaller group in your community that you were very, very close with your family, extended family, and like those probably that lived around you. And you would naturally just meet up with this group of people on a daily basis, sit around, relax through the evening, tell stories, be involved in everyone's lives. We would naturally be helping people through, you know, like any issues that they're having. The communication was probably a lot more open back then. Um, 
and then obviously a lot less toxins going into our body because a lot of our toxins now are coming from processing, chemical processing. So there was just a lot less of that naturally back then. And then everyone was eating of, you know, a very much a paleo, clean, organic, non-GMO diet because that's how food was. There was no other option back then. There was no processed foods. There was no pesticides or herbicides. So now it's, it is, it's unfortunate we have to be a lot more conscious about how we live our lives. But once you kind of build it in a certain way, and again, you just like kind of build one, you put one building block here. This is how I'm going to sleep. This is my diet. This is how I'm going to exercise. This is how I'm going to set up my life at home. This is how much time I'm going to spend sitting in front of the TV. This is how much I'm going to read books. Once you start making a lot of those decisions and start acting, like acting on them and actually executing, then it just becomes, that's just how you go through life. And that's just what you naturally do. Because so much of what we do is just subconscious programming, right? Like we're not conscious throughout the day of like every single thing we're doing, every choice we're making. A lot of it is just making the same decision over and over again. So it's better if we can make those healthier decisions automatic. And then they're just, they're not decisions anymore. It's just what we do. For sure. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, switching gears again a little bit, you know, something that I've been thinking about a lot, you know, the, the last little while here is this idea of, you know, call it modern masculinity of, you know, what it's, what does it mean to be, you know, a healthy, conscious man in today's age? And, you know, when I, when I say that to you, what are, what are some of the things that come to mind? And, you know, what are some of the, call it like, you know, traditional looks on masculinity to, you know, being a strong man um, compared to how you think about it now? And, you know, what are some of those that still ring true? What are some of them that, you know, you change um, just kind of some general thoughts on that. Yeah, I would say like the things that remain true to a certain extent is that like there there are obviously gender differences. There are biological differences and there's different neurochemistry and different hormones running through males and females bodies that allow us to take on certain roles with more ease. Um, so I think realizing, okay, there are going to be definitely some differences, but I think one of the big things that society is getting better at right now is realizing a lot of these toxic male behaviors, we can't just chalk that up to like, ah, it's just guy being a guy. We don't need to give guys the pass on certain things that are very destructive toxic behaviors. And I think that's one big thing that's happening now with like the masculinity movement is there's definitely differences in how we're gonna conduct ourselves as males and females and things we're naturally gonna be good at, but we don't need to excuse a lot of inexcusable behavior by just saying, oh, it's just guy being a guy, you know? Um, so I think, I think for a guy being someone who's, you know, not not necessarily overly emotional but allowed to show emotion that's like the more modern it used to be this false dichotomy kind of like what you were saying before about how i was like in with health oftentimes it's presented as like an either or i think that's what's happening with gender is we're realizing okay you can be you can be a strong leader the cornerstone of the family in terms of certain things but you can also show your emotion and i think what we're also realizing is just over the years, we've kind of been duped into thinking that women played such a minor role in the household and in politics and in businesses and in this and that, that they actually played such a major role. They just do it a little bit more behind the scenes. You know, there's obviously less women in CEO roles or president roles and companies. But a lot of those men in those positions, if you go into their household, they're not the they're not the president of their family. You know, they're not the CEO of their family. Their wife runs their show. So it's almost like there's different roles that we can take. So let's take the CEO thing. 
um, if a guy maybe has more of the wiring in order to go there nine to five, eight to four, whatever, eight to seven, whatever it is, every single day, put in the work, manage people, be driven, do all this stuff, have, be willing to have hard conversations and do this stuff. If they're more wired for that, then that's fine. But that doesn't mean the wife at home is useless or is not contributing to the family or is not contributing to the world economy or is not this or that. She's probably what's keep allowing this guy to be. And, you know, Ali Wong, she's a comedian and she had like a pretty funny take on this where she's like, women, we had it, we had it great. We were just like hanging out at home. We were doing our thing and now we're all being forced into the workforce. But like from a, like take a step back and not think of it like as a joke, but like take it more seriously is their role is probably the better role to have anyways. You know, like who who's really has the more power in that family. If one, the you know, just to use the classic CEO example, if he's out there, throwing his suit on every single day going out there and working and having these tough meetings and having a lot of emails and calls and the stresses that come with that and the wife is at home just telling him to keep going and taking care of the family and you know making sure everything is working from a household perspective i mean who's to say which one of those is better but yeah does that kind of make sense it does yeah you know and i have i guess like i have a little bit of a different take on it but you know kind of in the same realm where you know, a lot of those, not requirements, but call them tendencies, right? Yeah. Where sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, there's one partner that's more loving, more caring, more, you know, likes taking care of the kids, likes, you know, uh, making sure everything's organized at home. For me, it's removing that idea that that has to be, you know, a female. For me, totally. like, yeah. you know, sometimes, um, you know, the wife or, you know, the female partner in that relationship, she's the killer, you know, she's the one that wants to be going out every day, having those tough conversations, taking those tough totally. calls and, you know, really running things, um, at a company, you know, being a CEO, being a boss, being a president, whatever it might be. Um, and that's okay. And I think taking mm-hmm. that away that it has to be the man that goes out and does that. Right. And, totally. you know, that the woman can't be that you know, earner can't be that, like, call it, you know, for lack of a better term, more like alpha one in the relationship, right? Um, The breadwinner, the the earner, whatever you want to call it. And for me, you know, a huge one is removing that, you know, that stigma. And on the opposite side for the man too, for the man that wants to be the stay-at-home dad, for the man that, you know, really wants that work-life balance, he'll let the, you know, wife take the lead professionally and he wants to take care of the home making sure that that's okay too. And I think, you know, totally. that's, that's the big one of looking at it more as individuals instead of as a gender, right? Mm-hmm. Well, those tendencies, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a man because you have those tendencies and vice versa. You know, it's, it's a lot of, well, see where you actually fit and what works best for you and in your family unit, and then pursue that instead of feeling like it has to be this way um, or, and this. Yeah, totally. You know, the other point that you made, which I, I resonate a ton with, and it's something that I've been talking a lot about is, you know, that idea that a lot of times, you know, as men, the only emotion you're allowed to show usually is anger, right? You're not allowed to show mm-hmm. any other emotions. You have to be this, you know, strong, stoic figure that only takes on other people's problems. And, um, you know, if you show emotion, that's weakness. And that's one that I've really been kind of, you know, thinking about and talking about and pushing against where, 
you know, you can still be vulnerable and show emotion and still be strong. And yeah. a lot of times it actually makes you stronger if you can show those things and still, um, you know, still have that strength about you and, you know, show that you can have these imperfections and these flaws and it doesn't take anything away from, from you. So, you know, personally, that's kind of my take on it, but it, I'm always interested to hear what people think because, you know, it's, it's just such an interesting topic that, you know, has really, for me, it comes down to just the shoulds, the like, mm -hmm you're a man and so you should do this. You're a woman and so yeah. you should do this. Um, you know, you're young, so you should do this. Whatever it might totally. be. Yeah. And just kind of fighting against those and questioning some of those, so. Yeah, totally. I, I couldn't agree more about the shoulds and that's something that we're all questioning a lot now, right? And like, especially with gender roles and how we are supposed to act as males and females is they're right there in that the language right it's like how should we act or maybe there isn't a should maybe we should just be acting the way that we um personally see fit in the way that we want to interact with the world and with our spouse and with this and with that and i because there's something that happens it's in psychology i don't know the exact term for this but essentially people in a social group they take on different roles because everyone can't be taking the same role we naturally know this so like back to the example of like if you, me and like two other guys go skiing or snowboarding, naturally someone is going to take the role of, okay, I'm the ideas person. I'm going to come up with the idea. Where are we going to go do our lunch? How, where are we going to meet in the morning? How are we going to do this? There's going to be someone who's like the executor. And this is just like roles that people naturally take on. So it's like, okay, so-and-so came up with this plan. Let's all do it. Okay, we all got to be here. We got to do this thing. Okay, we're going to go there in 20 minutes, whatever it is there's going to be someone who's there to just keep the group kind of together. Um, almost like the social glue, they're going to alleviate tension, this and that. And the fourth, I forget what the fourth role is, but essentially we take these all these roles on in social settings, but we're not fixed to any one of those roles. And I think you can probably like, you know, attest to this. I know I definitely can, depends what group I'm in. Sometimes I'm the ideas person. Sometimes I'm the executor. Sometimes I'm the, just the glue trying to keep everything together and keep all these battling personalities at bay. Um, so I think with marriage, it's totally that, right? And like in relationships and just realizing that one, it's not even like if you're gonna take, let's say the, uh, a, a certain role in a marriage, that doesn't mean that that's your personality. That's just like how you figured out a way to, you know, relate to that other person or in relationships or even in the workplace, it doesn't need to be like this false dichotomy, like fixed situation of like, this is my personality and this is how I'm always going to be in every situation. It's a lot more fluid than that. Like we take on different roles with different people. And sometimes we're the one bringing things up sometimes with one bringing things down sometimes we're sometimes we're doing this or that and just realizing that as well it's like you can be the boss in the boardroom but you can also go home and kind of like be the more docile one or you can do do it in the opposite direction as well um and that's that's i think one one just to circle back to my point before about um the ceos and the wife at home i think i think my real under like the the underlying point i was trying to make was a lot of times we see the CEO that's out there doing the work as the boss in the relationship, not realizing that the boss in the relationship is sitting at home. Um, so I think there has certain in certain times there's been a mischaracterization of like all these times over the years. There's like 
the man out there earning, doing whatever the job is, and the woman's at home, they're almost in a lesser than position. And obviously, in certain instances, that can be the case. He has more of the access to capital, and he probably has more of his name on certain assets and this and that. And he has, um, at, at certain points, you know, like the ability to vote and own a home and all these certain things. But there was a lot of instances where she actually had a lot of them, a lot more of the power in the relationship. And it was almost, um, it just wasn't clear to the outside. So I think, I think we're unpacking a lot of these nuances too, because it's hard for us to look back like, okay, how were things a hundred years ago? And history books don't provide us a lot of insight, nor do like even personal experiences, because then you're just getting antidotes. And I think that's what we're getting better at now is realizing, okay, this is how things actually were. And this is how things actually are now. And this is how we can sort of move forward from here because history is like the greatest teacher, but that's the problem with history is it's really hard to get an accurate sort of depiction of what was actually happening. For sure. No, I love that. And, um, you know, we are wrapping up here, but I wanted to ask if there's anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about or, um, anything that you wanted to say at all. Uh, yeah, one, I guess one more thing about the, the masculinity with emotions, um, is that that is one thing that's kind of coming coming up for me over this is sometimes there is also a double standard with with males where it's like okay we want you to show emotion but don't show the wrong emotions whereas a lot of times with on the female side of things it's like someone could act a certain way and like let's say demonstrate or exhibit emotions that we can all agree are they're lower on the tier of like emotions we want to be experiencing or demonstrating whether it's anger or resentment or jealousy or this or that. So oftentimes, like if we typically in society, we'll say, okay, women, they are more emotional. And therefore, these lower end emotional states, these are just kind of like they come, they come part, it's part of it, right? That's just part of like them being more emotional is they're going to then demonstrate these ones. Whereas with men, there's this pressure now, not pressure, but there's definitely like a push towards, hey, we want you to show more emotion. But then we say, but no, like, don't show anger. That's wrong emotion. Suppress that one. Like, absolutely don't show that one. Show, show maybe some of these other ones. And I can imagine for a lot of men out there, it's kind of confusing where it's like half the time they're being pressured to suppress emotions. Half the time they're being celebrated when they express these other ones. Um, so I think that's one thing that also needs to be addressed. Whereas with women, it's a little bit easier for us to say, okay, these are emotions we don't want you to, let's say, lean into and these are ones that we maybe do want you to lean into but they're they've been allowed to express them more on a full spectrum for a very very long time whereas for men we're just sort of learning okay we can express our emotions but now there's a lot of boundaries around which ones we can and can't so i think there we can apply the double standard to us to to the men out there and not to say that we should all just be able to get the pass and be angry all the time or be resentful or be jealous or be any of these sort of lower emotional states. But I think we also need to figure out a way of, okay, how can we recharacterize these lower level emotions and how can we kind of like up them into better emotional states or how can we perceive things differently or shift this emotional state into a more constructive one instead of a destructive one. So I think that's going to be a big one because yeah, males expressing emotion, it's definitely been something that we've been taught over the years don't do it, suppress it. That's not, that's not, that's not being strong. That's not being a strong leader in your family and your relationship and your workplace, this or that. Um, and then they kind of, it, it seems then I'm saying I'm not an expert in this, but it seems like 
this for this kind of has created a situation where males are more likely to kind of blow up into these lower level emotional states where we need to at least help. And I, I don't necessarily know how to do this. Maybe you got you do or with the king of hearts, maybe they do, but just how to upregulate emotional states from these more destructive ones to more constructive ones. For sure. You know, and I, I definitely don't consider my, uh, myself an expert by any means. Um, yeah. While you were talking there, what was kind of coming up for me was, I think the first step though is accepting that whether, whatever the emotion is, it is valid because it is your emotion and yeah. allowing yourself first to express it, um, you know, is, and at least acknowledge it is so important. And then asking why. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times when we deny ourselves those emotions is when, you know, again, I kind of like the way I think about it is keeping it in the dark and letting it fester. And then, you know, what does that lead to in the future? Of Oh, I shouldn't again. And going back to those shoulds and shouldn'ts of I shouldn't be feeling this way. Um, so I feel jealous, but I shouldn't be feeling this way. So I'm going to keep it tucked away and pretend that it's not there. And then it's going to either, you know, create so much pressure that, you know, there's an explosion eventually, or it's going to come up in different ways. Okay. I'm not allowed mm -hmm. to be jealous. So I'm going to be angry. I'm not allowed to be jealous. So I'm going to be, um, you know, sad, or it's going to affect my self-worth wherever it goes, you know? And so that's, I, for me, at least that's one of the most important things is that just accepting that all emotions are valid, but the important part being asking why, you know, mm -hmm. why are you feeling jealousy? Why are you feeling resentment why are you feeling these and then that for me is the hard part you know right digging into those of you know am I actually jealous because they have a nicer car than me or does it go down to I feel that they're better than me because they have a, a nicer car right does it actually right. go back to my view of myself and my self-worth on that's why I'm feeling jealous and, you know, I think that's a lot of times is that next step that not a lot of people are willing to take of, you know, taking almost the ownership of that emotion. Now, why am I feeling that way and digging into it? And that's really the tough work and the important work too. So, yeah. So when you're talking, that's, that was what was coming up for me is, you know, the first part, allowing everybody to feel those emotions. And the second part, going into them and asking why and trying to figure out where they come from for those you know, for all of them, but especially those, you know, kind of lower tier emotional states. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a really good take on that. And I'll definitely start to share some of that with the people that kind of come up in my life, whether they're friends, family members, practice members who need to sort of do that work and sort of digging a little bit deeper. This is the anger I'm experiencing and that's okay. Like it's not, I'm not going to label that. I'm not going to judge that. I'm not going to try to suppress it, yeah. but this probably isn't a good emotional state to be arriving at every single day for the rest of my life. Therefore, how can I recharacterize or how can I look at this and dive deeper so that I don't end up here every single day. And that's like, yeah, I think that's the same with a lot of those. It's like, if you're jealous about something, yeah, like you said, acknowledge it. Don't try to suppress it. Don't try to think I'm not, I, I'm not allowed to be jealous, but also realizing, okay, I can't be, become jealous of every single relationship, every single day of every single week for the rest of my life. I'm going to have no one left in my life. I'm going to have no healthy relationships and my mental health is also probably going to suffer from that. So how can I do the work on this, this time? And then hopefully next time I don't arrive back here. Yeah, for sure. 
Amazing. Cool. Thank, thank you for bringing that last point up. I, I really enjoyed going into that. So yeah, cool. Um, Thanks. Amazing. So what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're uh, interested in connecting? Yeah, totally. Uh, probably Instagram is the easiest one. So just Dr. Keith Beliveau um, on Instagram. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest. Awesome. And so final question is, what does this next phase in your journey look like? Oh, man, you know, I was having a conversation uh, about this just a couple of weeks ago, because we just we just had our first year open in the clinic, and it was a lot of growth. And it's really easy to get back to like, you know, characterizing things as American or more European, like the American way is just keep building and growing and bigger is better and just keep building the empire and keep growing, growing, growing always. And a lot of times in like the European way of things is don't do that. That doesn't sound like a good way to like live a meaningful, purposeful, happy life. You build things when you need to build things. And then you can just like, then you can stop building. You can stop growing and you can just like sort of take a step back and reap the benefits of that and focus on other aspects of your life. So I think for us at Kiro, like we're at a point where we're still going to continue to grow over this year, but it's not going to be as much growth as we did last year. Cause that took a lot of time and energy and resources on our end to sustain that growth and to allow for that. So for this next year, it's going to be, okay, we're going to continue to grow, but it's not going to take every ounce of our beings to do so. And we can focus a lot more of our time and energy on other aspects of our life. So that's going to be, I think the next chapter is like really dialing in the lifestyle. Cause like back to what I said, that's like, that's what health is. And that's what enjoy living an enjoyable life is, is like figuring out a way to go through your, your week or your months or your year in an enjoyable way. They can't just all be sitting at home watching TV. It can't all be working. It can't just be exercising all day, every day, but it's a combination of all of these things and just figuring out a way that you can sort of do everything that you need to do. And that's going to be my focus this year is like, how can I exercise the amount I need to see friends, the amount that I need to have time for family, have time for recovery, have time to spend time with Charlotte, my fiance and go walk the dog and also spend time at Kiro and make sure we're still doing everything here from, you know, getting the amazing results we get with our patients and creating the environment to do so. And how can I start to like level, level out the lifestyle a little bit? Cause it's definitely been in the last couple of years, a little bit more favoring the business here in the clinic and for good reason. And I'm happy that we did it, but now it's going to be, okay, how can we try to create a sustainable balanced lifestyle? And that's going to be, I think my goal in the next phase. Awesome. Love that so much. Um, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate you. Um, can't wait to see you again and uh, we'll connect soon. Okay. You too, man. Thanks for having me on. It was great. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear any feedback that you have through Instagram at Jared Salikin or by email jared at jaredsalikin.com as well as it really would mean the world to me if you liked and subscribed to the podcast. Thanks so much.